Hello and welcome to this episode of the Coaching Podcast from British Canoeing Awarding Body. Hello there. It's time for another of our From the Vaults episodes. This particular episode was recorded back in 2021, but um, I'm sure you'll still find the content highly relevant today. It's the first in a set of two podcasts relating to adventure sports coaching. In this episode, Dr Lowell Collins, the former Director of Learning and Development at Plaza Brennan, has a fascinating discussion with Pete Catterall about the differences and similarities between adventure sports coaching and mainstream competitive sports coaching. This episode I'm sure will be interesting for existing and budding adventure sports coaches. But because um, they do touch on coaching fundamentals throughout the discussion, I think it will also be of interest to anyone wanting to revisit those concepts and ideas. I hope you enjoy and find it useful. So welcome to the Coaching Podcast. My name is Pete Catterall, uh, the talent coach developer for British Canoeing, uh, working across all the competitive disciplines. Um, and the podcast today, uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. Lowell Collins um, from Plaza Brennan uh, to introduce himself uh, and then we'll get into the, the, the meat of the, the podcast and what we're going to chat about today. So Lowell, could you just give us a, a, a quick resume of who you are, what you do, where you do it, why you do it, but yeah we'll go with that okay lovely um yeah i i work as the director of learning and development at uh the national outdoor center that's placid brennan uh before that uh i was an academic uh and have spent the last 10 years uh doing research uh and teaching uh around professional practices and judgment and decision making in adventure sports uh, in particular, what professionals do um, in, in that part of the sport. My background before that was uh, as a paddler um, back in the day as a whitewater kayaker, now more predominantly a canoeist. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a bit of a reputation for throwing myself off waterfalls. And now I tend to like uh, uh, canoeing around uh, the Canadian tundra uh, and the Arctic. That's about me. Sounds sounds nice, nice, very, very good. Um, and we, you know, we've worked together over, over the years, on and off for, for nearly twenty years now. So it's, it's good to good to have a, a, a chat on here with you. Um, so you say adventure sports. So that's the the meat of this podcast is is what is adventure sports, what is an adventure sports coach, and uh, we'll start talking around what the, the the differences are between adventure sports coach and mainstream coaching. So what I wanted to get your thoughts are. First, Lowell, is on what is an adventure sports coach? So we're going to start with what is an adventure sport to you? So what's in, what's out? What's your? Give us your opinion on, on that. Right. Um, unfortunately, it's not quite as black and white as that. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, there are sports. Canoeing is a sport. Uh, and uh, canoeing has various types of activity within its sport so it has slalom it has wild water racing it has freestyle but what it also has is other versions of the sport that 
tend to get grouped as adventurous. So recreational whitewater kayaking or um, sea kayaking, for instance, or expeditions. So uh, the place to start for me is that those sports are characterized by taking part in a, a natural environment uh, and taking part under a set of sort of rules that the individual decides by that's their own construction and and the reason i put that is is that sits in opposition almost to the opposite end of a spectrum of a, a, a an olympic sport let's say which is really really heavily regulated you know it governs what the person can wear what they can sit in exactly what the sport is to undertake and that frequently nowadays also takes place in a manufactured environment to ensure that you can have person against person competition. So you, you have these, these sort of extremes uh, that are going on. Um, there's a mid ground to this as well, in that you have an increasing amount of activity in managed environments. So you have competitions that take place in let's say a marathon race um, that takes place on a natural river but the section is managed in some way to ensure that it's safe or is managed in some way to make sure that the the track for the race the route for the race is clearly demarked so you have this managed sort of category in the middle as well but for me adventure sports don't have a great deal of regulation and take place in primarily natural environments yeah. So do you see there's some there's some blurred lines in there with some sports ends, such as um, um, so like sick line, uh, the, the extreme whitewater championships or um, uh, some of like the free free ride skiing, the big kind of heli lifting and people find their own line. Yeah. Is that an adventure sport or because it's got rules? Yeah. Where does that sit? Right. Uh, and, and this is why it can't be black and white actually because uh you you could have you could have a hillside main managed so that it's safe i.e the pistas go out and uh, they'll make sure there's no avalanche or there's no high avalanche risk on that slope and actually you then compete by interpreting that slope and skiing that slope uh, uh, and and doing your tricks on the slope um and you get marks for that and uh, and that that is more towards the adventure sport end of that idea than it is perhaps towards the competitive side because it's not as manufactured for the environment there are still some rules but interestingly those rules tend to value not necessarily just being the fastest or the strongest but interpreting the terrain or going for a maneuver uh, or attempting a trick. So if you, the other place you can is something along the lines of um, park and pipe in skiing. Yeah. So you, you go and ski park and pipe, and somebody who goes for a really, really good maneuver, really tough new maneuver, but doesn't know, doesn't land it properly, is still given a great regard from their community of participants because they're pushing the boundaries so that there's this little bit in that mid ground where there's this recognition of pushing the boundaries 
of the sport, which is recognised as well. Yeah. So it's it's unfortunate that it's not black and white, um, but there are these different ways of of viewing these sports. Uh, yeah. If that's helpful. Yeah. No, it is. It, you know, because my next question is going to is going to move into sort of the coaching of it, and I think it's good to to kind of work out what we're talking about, and that might lead us into what why. And I, and I do agree why you believe, but I also agree that, that coaching adventure sports is different to coaching mainstream or competitive sports. So let's get your view on that since you've you know done a PhD in it. It's probably a good place for you to talk. Um, so so why is coaching adventure sports? Why is that different to to other sports? What What's the difference? Why can't I just apply the same skill set across from one to the other? Right. Um, so this gets a little bit uh, a little bit convoluted but the place really to start is that what we coach is people and if we say that we coach people the sport or the activity that we coach them in is almost secondary to that yeah so if we are coaching people the skills that we need to coach a person are universal you could argue that they're universal so as a as a coach working in a competitive discipline i use the same coaching tools as a coach working in an adventurous discipline however the ingredient those ingredients come together in a slightly different way because there are differences in the sport the first i mean the, the easiest one is go to the regulation there's a set of rules that govern what i can coach and the performance that constrain the performance in a competitive yeah. sport. I don't have that when I'm coaching somebody on recreational white water. They can turn up in a boat that ranges everything from um, uh, as long as their legs through to almost four meters long. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's no requirement for them to get through a rapid in a particular time or in a particular way through a particular route. They have to design the route themselves. So, um, the ingredients are the same, but the recipe comes together different, differently. Think, I think I've used this one with you before. Think, think of it like bolognese and chili. <laughs> yeah, bolognese and chili both have a very similar set of ingredients, but they have a slightly different context. Bolognese tends to go on, uh, on pasta. Chili tends to go on rice. The ingredients are put together in a slightly different order and a slightly different format with just a little bit of difference in the seasoning. Yeah. So th think of the coaching like that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think um, that... So, go on. Well, I, what I was going to say is that what, what then comes from this is that adventure sports coaches uh, do have to contend with a... And they will coach in a much more dynamic environment than perhaps we see in other coaching activities. So in, in, in a competitive sport, we may see that it's the end game that is really dynamic, but that the coaching situation is actually controlled. In an adventure sport, we frequently see that that coaching is taking place in that very dynamic situation as well. Yeah. There's another element that comes into that, which is that the adventure sports coach is frequently undertaking the adventure with the people that they're coaching so for that reason 
adventure sports coaches need to be capable in the environment that they're coaching in. It doesn't mean that they have to be top end performers, but it does mean they need to operate in the environment that they're coaching within without having to expend a great deal of thought on their part for their own performance because all their thoughts should be on their clients or on their their coaches yeah yeah i'm just um, i'm just visualizing how that would work in, in other in other sports so uh, like a bobsleigh coach <laughs> down on a bobsleigh give well he'd be in the bobsleigh <laughs> yeah or be in the bobsleigh so yeah it's you know you are playing the game alongside the, the athletes in in adventure sports yeah uh, yeah. And and the, the kind of attentional focus that that means you have to manage, I think, is quite high level as well. That, you you know, you do have to be so comfortable that it's you're not worrying about you, but you still have to have that awareness in that. Uh, and I think that's a really good way of describing it um, in, in that you should be on the adventure with the people that you're coaching but you shouldn't necessarily be having an adventure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're having an adventure, you've probably pushed it too far for the folks that you're out with. You, you are you are along so that they can have an adventure. Yeah. And sometimes for folks, that's they can be they can have that experience with you, knowing that you are the backstop to fish them out if it goes pear-shaped. But equally, they can come to you as an adventure sports coach and want you to teach them so that the next weekend after you've worked with them, they can go and have their own adventure completely independent of you. Um, and so there, there is this idea of what end the end point is of the coaching process, which is the individual undertaking their own adventures. And yeah. That's dead interesting because it means we see a lot of high level adventure sports coaching actually happening with intermediate level performers. Because when you've been successful, they're independent of you. So the advanced performers aren't coming back for coaches. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that typically that the like duration of the coaching relationship is very different in in adventure sport not not exclusively but you know in the world i work in now with the competitive guys they have quite long-term <laughs> relationships with the athletes and when i was coaching adventure sports i might have hours days maybe maybe a week i might get them back again at some point but most of the time i have to get up and running with these with these these athletes participants whatever whatever we want to call people pretty quickly and make make decisions about them because they want to be coached in an adventurous situation and i don't know them very well so so what do you think about that the sort of coaches decision making to be able okay. to do that job well you, you you've alluded to, to two things so far that come slightly before the decision making and what one is um a piece of work that we've done recently which is the all to do with the coaching process in adventure sports. And a, a typical coaching process works out what the uh, what the athlete participant client needs and then designs a program to address that. But in adventure sports, what we see going on is an identification of the what the client thinks they need and what they want. 
And then we actually have to put the client in the adventurous environment to find out whether what they believe they need and they want is actually what they believe and need and want. Uh, and then we redesign the coaching process on that. So the, the planning process for adventure sports coaching seems much more sophisticated because you almost have to make a plan, go out and then almost immediately meet, remake that plan because the description of that person's performance or that professional person's performance in those conditions on that day all force you to change so you see adventure sports coaches as what are called adaptive experts and which means their skill is in their capacity to be very very agile with their coaching activity they can adjust and change what they're doing um, as opposed to making a plan and sticking to it and, and, and being dogmatic about it and sort of being too attached to a plan. So we find adventure sports coaches are very, very adaptable experts, um, which is a characteristic that we see in very high level uh, coaches in other activities, but we see this across all levels in adventure sport coaches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I work with a lot of groups and coaches now that that do a phenomenal amount of planning because it's you know it's based around a competition or a, a cycle you know Olympic cycles or you know selection or it might just be a winter block of training. Um, you know it would be you know they are adaptive because you know like you said earlier we're we're coaching squidgy human beings here that 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 are all <laughs> that react differently to different stimulus. So um, you know it's it's still within a within a a a, a, a a kind of bandwidth of, of what we expect but but it is planned for and it is well well timetabled out i'd say in, in, a, in a different way to you know if i'm helping somebody prep for an expedition then i know when that's going to be but it's quite loose <laughs> right and, and you see that that's a lovely observation because for me that links back to this regulation if i've got if if, if i'm working within a structure i've got to get that person prepped for 2021 i'm working within a framework i have a set of constraints that i work within um, whereas when i'm working outside of that and i'm prepping somebody for an expedition or prepping them to um, uh, undertake their own adventure their trip to the ardesh in the summer or whatever it doesn't necessarily have those same boundaries placed on it yeah yeah and i guess you know it, it doesn't have the same to a certain extent, doesn't have the same pressures and outcomes. They're different. They're not not le equal, not less value or more value. You know, one one is about performance on a day, which means they get a nice medal, and the other one is potentially um, life threatening if 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 it goes wrong. So, things. Right. I think. Yeah. So so the, this this then touches in two areas. Adventure sports are not particularly risky. <laughs> Actually, when, when, when you do the numbers, horse riding and rugby and football probably make greater demands on the NHS than we That's do. That's why I don't do any of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the challenge is that when it does go pear-shaped where we are, the consequence is higher. So that, that's your consequence against likelihood yeah. um, thing going on. Um, the other bit that you have uh, that's really important within that is this idea that uh, 
people perceive adventure sports as being risky sports. So we get lumped in with extreme sports and high risk sports. Um, and actually we're not, we're actually very safe. It's just that when it does go messy, it goes really messy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The instances of, of actual accidents are, are, are minimal. You know. Yeah. We're, 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 we're yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just you know, um, we've we've gone off on some good tangents there, but I like I like tangents. I don't like sticking to sticking to plans, as you'll probably remember from when you work. But um, so for. For adventure sports coaches, then developing their their coaching craft has to be different then compared to mainstream coaches, I would guess. What what, what do you think? Is is it? Can we go down? Okay. Can I go down the same learning my craft coaching for if I wanted to become a football coach as I could to become a adventure sports coach in, in whatever discipline? Or do I need you know how do I, how do I learn my craft? I guess is what I'm saying. Right. So what I would do is I would go back to my ingredients analogy. You can learn to recognize a, a tin of tomatoes <laughs> and you can learn to recognize half a pound of mince <laughs> and an onion. Yeah. But understanding how they come together is the crucial bit. So there are there's a very good argument for generic training of the appropriate core skills but they need to be transferred into the right context very, very rapidly so that uh, the application of those skills into the context is, is brought together very quickly. So this means you can have a, a generic coaching skill training, but it has to come very quickly uh, with a okay so how do those things apply into a white water environment how do they apply into a sea kayaking environment yeah yeah um now crucial within that is that you need adventure sports coaches to be reflective so uh, and and there's there's a couple of parts to that the crucial part is they need to be critical so when somebody tells you something you should be going are you sure how does that apply to me? Does that apply to me? Is that source useful? Should I believe Pete Cattle when he says? Yeah. Um, and then I apply it and I go, well, actually, Pete was quite right to say that this is a one way of doing this job. I like that. And you then reflect upon it. You think about, did it work? Could it be changed? Could it be modified so that the next time I go out to use it, I can then refine it and improve it? So we find that adventure sports coaches are quite reflective in what they think about. But interestingly, they're not reflective in the way that the academics think about it. So when you read a lot of stuff on reflection, you find that there's quite an emphasis on do the activity and then think about it in a structured way afterwards. But we find that adventure sports coaches, and this links in with that adaptive expertise thing, are continually reflecting and making judgments and decisions and taking actions and auditing and reviewing them throughout the coaching process. 
So they're reflective in the action, in the coaching process, which is really important. And, and that's because that's really, that's really demanding on the adventure sports coach. They're, you know, cognitively, mentally, it is a very, very draining activity to do really, really well. That's something I see, uh, you know, when I think about a lot of the slalom coaches and the sprint coaches working is, is, is that process going on? So I think, you know, that's something where the, the lines definitely blur. And I, I see that an enormous around whether, whether it's whilst slalom paddlers doing another lap, they're, they're, they're quickly evaluating, am I doing the right thing? How do I move that on? How do we, do we need to progress that skill? Do we need to regress that skill? Do we need to change the environment for that skill? Um, so I do see, I see that going on at, at a pretty high level and you see the, the coaches afterwards looking like they've, they're just a bit drained at the end, <laughs> the end of a session when they've, when they've been working hard. And, and, and that's because it is, you know, if you're continually planning, replanning, adjusting, it, 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 it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it is a cognitive process. It's mm. an explicit thought on your part to do that. You, you, you broke up a little bit there, but you touched on something that was really important is this idea that we vary what we ask the individual to do. We vary the environment in which they're taking part in that activity. Um, and we vary the, 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 the task as well. Yeah. Um, and because we're operating in these natural environments, there's a, there's a natural variation in the locations in which we're coaching. Uh, which is really beneficial to the coaching process. But there's also a lot of thought going into how a technique may adapt and change uh, to suit that individual in that boat with those paddles in that situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talk a lot about, um, well, we, the, the coaches I work with, it's not so much me anymore, I just, I just listen to them, talking about you know, how each, he, each athlete, each paddler creates a technical template that works for them, for their body shape, their size, but also the way they like to, like to paddle and move. Um, yeah, yeah. So you, you would build your, you build your picture of a performance on a technical template. Uh, and from that emerges uh, um, what's called a mental model yeah. of, of the type of performance that, that you want to achieve. Uh, technical templates are really, really good and they work really, really well in those aspects of paddle sport where there is a technical template. The challenge, and we see this in adventure sports, we would probably also see this in things like para canoe as well, is that those technical templates don't always fit the variation of the individuals or the craft or the environment that they're in. So we find that adventure sports coaches and power canoe coaches, again, are characterized by this ability to adapt the technical template to the individual that they're coaching. That's really quite sophisticated because when, when we look at that in other coaches, uh, we see that in very, very high level coaches, but we see it routinely as a factor in adventure sports coaches. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah, I'd echo that across all, all of those things. You know, I see it a lot in, again, in slalom and in, in, in sprint that, you know, they know what we're aiming for, but how we, you know, someone who's six foot compared to someone who's five foot four does something, you know, me and you paddle the same section of river, but we'll, We'll have a slightly different style about it just because of we're, we're a different size and different shape and i think that's you know it's back 
back to what you said earlier, we're coaching people, not not paddle sports. We're just coaching those people how to paddle. Yeah. Uh, a really good quote came out from, um, I'll quote him actually, Luke, Luke Smythe, one of our slalom coaches. It, it, you know, he, he coaches the person before the paddler. Uh, and yeah. and, and I, love, I heard him say that the other day. And I was like, That's just, you know, brilliant. He's, he's got that, pretty, to be fair, fairly early days in his first few years of coaching, which is brilliant. Um, so we'll start to wrap that up. There's a lot, I think we might have to have a part two to, uh, to pick up on. To, <laughs> but um, I guess my last question was, was you know, as, as where's the next development, I guess, for, for adventure sports coaching? What, what's the what next? If I think about the, the, the sports I work with, we've got, you know, as a, as a, as a slalom coach or a sprint coach or a freestyle coach or whatever, we've got, access to to a technical coach uh, and then we've got a string of of supporting people so we've got physiologists we've got strength and conditioning coaches we've got physios we've got sports psychologists that we that, that are stood behind us and that's phenomenal amount of support that the coach can access and the coach does have to have elements of all those things as well because when they're coaching they, they those people aren't just stood around waiting to ask questions they're, they're support staff um so how, do, how does that come out how do we really make outdoor uh, adventure sports athletes as as good as we can without that support i know we didn't talk about this okay. but i'm gonna throw that one at you okay. um so the, the the bit that comes from this for me is it comes back to adventure sports coaches is that they have to be able they have to know enough to be able to deal with all of those things in the field you clearly can't take with you uh, a physio, uh, a psychologist, uh, dot, 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 when you're out in the hills or when you're out on the sea. But it is expected that the adventure sports coach will have enough knowledge of those areas that they can support an athlete in those ways until you get back at the end of the day. And that, that kind of overlaps with one of your earlier points is that a a typical slalom coaching session may be what an hour 45 minutes whereas a typical adventure sports coaching uh, session could be a day or two days or three days yeah you know um so we are uh, we are juggling a little bit uh, in there but we're also using the same ingredients in in subtly different ways the direction for adventure sports coaching for me is all about judgment and decision making uh, and, and, the, and the reason for that is that we know that most accidents that happen in the outdoors stem from a poor judgment or a series of poor judgments uh, and we also know that effective development of any performer is a series of choices made about the approach that you take with that performer in that situation so for me, it's all about judgment and decision making. So the, the focus of coach education for me hangs around how to make good calls, how to choose to do the right thing with the right person in the right place at the right time. But we could talk about that next that time. Was, do you know what? That was probably the best way to finish this one up because that's exactly where I was thinking of going with the next one is how we, how we start, how, how do we develop that? How do we build on that? Uh, how do we evaluate it? Uh, yeah, so let's let's leave that there and let's talk about that on the next one about decision making. And we'll use the context of adventure sports, but also in 
that the you know this is a, obviously a, on British canoeing, so it's a paddle sport chat. Then we might just look at it from a, a bigger a bigger picture. So thanks for your time. I know you've got to get back to working out how we're going to restart the world of the outdoors after this lockdown. So <laughs> so hopefully that's been a nice break from whatever you were doing before. But uh, th thanks for your time, and I look forward to part two. Brilliant. Thanks, Pete. <laughs>